0: Heavenly Father, as we approach your word this morning, we come with a certain sense of awe, coming with a sense of expectation as well, wondering what it is that you will desire to teach us today. More than anything today, Father, I pray that you uh, be with my words, that as we talk about the wonderful sacrament of the altar, the Lord's Supper, that we will come to understand it and appreciate it even more fully. We pray in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. On the night before Jesus was betrayed, he ate with his disciples what has become known as the Lord's Supper, or the Last Supper. But in this Passover meal, Jesus served and instituted a brand new meal, a meal that he says was to be repeated. He said, do this to remember me. Since then, this meal has gone by a a bunch of different names. Some of them are biblical. Some of them are not. It has been called the Lord's Supper. It has been called the Last Supper. It has been called Communion. It has been called the Eucharist. It has been called the Mass, the Sacrament of the Altar, the Lord's Table, and the Breaking of Bread. But this morning, I'm going to just ask you a simple question in a while. What is this meal? I mean, what is it we're really talking about? Now, we who have been Lutherans for a long time may think we know the answer to this, that we as Lutherans really understand communion. But I want to suggest to you that even we who may be so very familiar with what we see on the altar in front of us today can sometimes become forgetful. Or sometimes we can be fuzzy as to what it really is. That's why we need to be reminded constantly. Now to answer this question today, I am going to be examining what Scripture has to say about this. But I also want you to know that today I'm going to be quoting a lot from the writings of Martin Luther. Now I'm not quoting from Luther today because I put his writings on the same level as Holy Scripture. Because I think you all know, if you paid attention two weeks ago, we believe that Christian truth can be and, is and will be and always will be established by Scripture alone. But when it comes to the essential teachings of the faith, Martin Luther seems to have been given great insight and understanding by God, precisely because he was such a good student of his Bible And especially it's true when it comes to what he has to say about the Lord's Supper. So for this reason today, we want to listen to what not only Scripture has to say, but what Luther also has to say insofar as it's consistent with God's Word. You're going to hear me ask this question eight different times today, and I'm going to give you eight different answers. Here's Here's the question. What is this meal? Here's the first answer I'll give you. It is a meal. Now, you're going to say, well, that's kind of a no-brainer. What is this meal? It's a meal. Okay. Well, there are several reasons why we need to be reminded that what we're going to partake of in a few moments is a meal. Now, I've got to tell you that for whatever reason, Lutherans a long time ago chose Holy Communion as their favorite word for this meal. I don't know why. I probably could have researched it, but I didn't bother. But I can tell you that that Holy Communion was not Martin Luther's favorite term. Even though he referred to it occasionally as communion, his favorite descriptions were either the sacrament of the altar or the Lord's Supper. The reason he loved the Lord's Supper was because he felt that the word communion was not really meal language. And it tended to make us forget that this is an honest-to-goodness real meal. He also liked that word, the Lord's Supper, because as a meal it reminds us of the way we eat this. Now let me ask you, in all honesty, how many of you ever eats a meal lined up in a horizontal line and perhaps kneeling in front of an altar? Is that what you all do at home? Family stands in a horizontal line and then you all kneel in front of the altar where the burnt offering is made, the stove, or whatever. Now, I know that there are some people who think this is, this is the way that was ordained by God, that we all come forward, stand in a horizontal line, and kneel in front of an altar. <clears throat> but it's not. The way that we take communion this way only goes back as far as the Middle Ages. Now, in spite of what you may see in paintings of Jesus and his disciples sitting around at a picnic table... That's not the way it started either. We know that they would have eaten it reclining on the floor around a table that wasn't much more than a foot tall. Now I'm not going to advocate. Some of you already said, "Well, you've made enough changes. Are we going to start come up here and lay on the floor around the table?" No, I'm not. I'm just simply pointing out that because of the way we eat this meal, sometimes we forget that it is a meal. There's another reason to remind us that this is a meal, and it's because of the portion that we receive again i'd ask you in what other meal do you receive so little i mean a paper-thin wafer and a sip of wine or grape juice now the point of all of this is that the lord's supper is a meal but obviously it's not a meal that satisfies the hunger of the body it is a meal for the soul it's intended to satisfy our spiritual appetite Listen to what Luther says about it. He says, therefore, it is appropriately called the food of the soul, since it nourishes and strengthens the new man. What is this meal? Well, let me tell you the second thing. It is a memorial meal that remembers Christ's death on behalf of us all. Now, this memorial emphasis of this meal is heard especially in Paul's rendition of the words of institution. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 25. I think these words are on your message outline as well. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So there you have it. Two times... After distributing both the bread and the wine, our Lord explicitly says that meal is to be done, how? In remembrance of me. Since the bread eaten is Christ's body for us, the wine that is drunk is the new covenant, my blood for us, then clearly what this meal is, is a memorial of Christ's atoning death for us on the cross. Now, to my knowledge, if you took all the Christian churches around this world, all Christian churches agree that the Lord's Supper is a meal that remembers Christ's death. Unfortunately, ever since the time of the Reformation to this day, there are some people who view this meal as only a memorial and nothing else. But biblical Christians see this as much, much more than just an opportunity to remember something. What is this meal? Here's the third thing I would tell you. It is a holy meal, since it is consecrated by God's word. Let me ask you this hard question. What is it that transforms ordinary bread and wine into a holy meal in which Christ's body and blood are actually present? The answer is, it's God's word. That's what does it. The words of consecration that the Lord spoke over the bread and wine 2,000 years ago, those same words that you hear me or most every other pastor pronounce one more time over them before we receive the Lord's Supper. I'm going to tell you that Lutherans differ from Catholics on this. Let me just give you a little example. The Catholic Church believes that the priest, by virtue of him being ordained, has the power actually to transform the bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ. They call that transubstantiation. That's your big word for the day. But as we believe teaching, i, I got to stop there. I didn't learn anything at the seminary before I was ordained how to do presto changeo. I'm going to stop at that point. But that's what they teach and believe in their church. But we believe, teach, and confess, however, that it is the words of Christ, not, not me, not the pastor, not any priest. It's the words of Christ that are spoken over the bread and wine that make this a holy meal. Now, I want to go back to Luther's large catechism on this. Luther said the word of God is the true holy thing above all holy things. Indeed, it is the only one we Christians acknowledge and have. God's word is the treasure that sanctifies all things. Now, to sanctify something means to make it holy. It is only God's word that sanctifies the bread and the wine in this holy meal. So what is this meal? Well, Here's number four. It is a meal in which God gives and serves forgiveness... For all sins. Now, when Dennis read to you before from Matthew twenty six, you heard this when Jesus said, Drink from it all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is what? Poured out for the for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, in the same way that the preached gospel announces and gives forgiveness through the cross of Christ to everybody who believes, so does this meal. The only difference is that the preaching of the gospel, forgiveness of sins, is heard. But when you come forward today, friends, to this altar, the forgiveness of sins is seen and it's tasted. That's why the Lord's Supper has often been called the visible gospel. See, the forgiveness of sins, which is given in this holy meal that we'll participate in later, is the complete Forgiveness won by Jesus on the cross. In the Lord's Supper, there is a once and for all forgiveness that is applied to each person who believes so that they're assured that all of their sins, including the ones that they're feeling guilty about, are forgiven. And because of this, it's probably right to say that the Lord's Supper is especially for sinners. Now, I thinking of asking, is there anybody here today who's not a sinner? Because if you're not a sinner, you have no need of this sacrament. That's why I say that it's probably right to say the Lord's Supper is especially for sinners. It's especially for those who are sorrowing and struggling over their sinfulness. Again, I'm going to go back to something Martin Luther wrote. He said, from all that has been said, we conclude that the Mass, the Lord's Supper, was provided only for those who had a sad, afflicted, disturbed, perplexed, and erring conscience, and that they alone commune worthily. For since the word of divine promise in this sacrament sets forth the forgiveness of sins, let everyone draw near fearlessly, whoever he may be, who is troubled by his sins, whether by remorse or by temptation. For this testament of Christ is the one remedy against sins past, present, and future if you will but cling to it with unwavering faith and believe that what the words of the Testament declare is freely granted to you. But, I'm going to add a but here, but let's also remember that this meal is for believing sinners only. Let me say that again. This meal is for believing sinners only, for those who truly believe in the promise of forgiveness in this sacrament. All other people, Scripture says, ought to stay away. On your message outline, I printed something from Luther's small catechism. I remember this. In fact, I'm going to couch this in the form of a story. A number of years ago, when we were still at our previous church, I don't remember exactly how old my grandson might have been, 10, 11, 12 years old, After church, Nancy came up to me. I don't know if you remember this, but you told me Joshua took communion this morning. And that was your way of saying you better talk to him. I said I would talk to him. And so on the way home from church that day, I had him in my truck, and I said, Grandma told me you took communion this morning. He said, Yes, I did. And I said, So what made you think you could do that? He said, well, Mom and me took some classes. This is the church that they went to in the Dallas area. I said, okay, so what does communion mean? Here's the way a 12-year-old thinks. He said, it means what it is that you have written in that thing you guys hand out. Well, see, this thing that we hand out on the inside cover, it tells us exactly what we believe, teach, and confess. And I said, okay, you're not getting off the hook that quick, buddy. He says, well, then I remember something you said once. That's a scary thing to a grandpa. Because I probably said many things to him over the years. And I said, okay, what does it mean? He said, I don't know if I'll get this correct. He said, if I can remember you saying one time, he is truly worthy and well-prepared who has faith in these words, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. He said, I've heard you say that before. I said, well, those are not my words. Well, where are they from? Well, I think on your outline, I put this down here. Luther asked this question in the small catechism. Who receives this sacrament worthily? He said, fasting and bodily preparation are certainly fine outward training. In other words, taking a bath, taking a shower, putting on good clothes, that's all nice. But that person is truly worthy and well-prepared who has faith in these words, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. But anyone who does not believe these words or doubts them is unworthy and unprepared for the words for you require all hearts to believe. Well, when I heard him give that simple little statement about giving, you know, have faith in these words, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, my reply was, You can take communion at Grandpa's church anytime. Now, does he need to know more? Oh, sure, we all need to know more. See, the point is that I'm making here, friends, is that the Lord's Supper is for those who truly believe in the promise of forgiveness. It's there to encourage those people who feel unworthy and are staying away that they might gladly come, but it is also there to warn people who eat this meal without any thought whatsoever, or who only come because, well, aren't we supposed to, or isn't it that time again, without even thinking. So what is this meal? Well, number five is this. It's a meal that is God's work for us, not our work for him. Now, it's true that Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, yet I want to tell you that the emphasis here is on invitation, Not on command. Jesus is saying, come on, do this to remember me. It's not a command. See, in this holy meal, it is Jesus and not us who is the one who prepares and serves and gives. He serves us his body, which is given for you. He serves us his blood, which is poured out for you. Our job, if we have any job at all in communion, is simply to receive. Luther, again, is really on target when he says, Now, one can in no way abuse and dishonor the most worthy sacrament of the Lord's Supper more than by regarding it only as a good work. For a good work is that which I can do to another, and it must be my work, but the Lord's Supper is not my work, but God's work, with which I permit myself to be served and I receive a blessing. Hence, it is now clear that it is a great abuse of the sacrament and blasphemy if you do not esteem it to be purely the work of God. What is this meal? Well, here's number six. It's a meal in which we eat and drink Christ's body and blood. Now, again, I could make a blanket statement and tell you that most Christian churches, most Christian traditions affirm that Jesus is present somehow, way, in the Lord's Supper. But I'm going to tell you that that's not enough just merely to say that he's somehow, some way here like John Calvin way back in the 16th century he was a contemporary of Luther many christians today would teach that jesus is present in the lord's supper but not in the bread and wine they speak of jesus being in here in kind of a spiritual sense that jesus is somehow nearby as we come and just merely eat bread and drink probably grape juice in most traditions Or some people say, kind of like Calvin who got on the wrong track, that when we eat this meal, we spiritually somehow ascend to where Jesus is. And we all know where Jesus is, right? He's sitting up there somewhere at the right hand of God. But some people refuse to believe that the body and blood are actually present. See, Jesus, they said, according to his human nature, ascended up into heaven sits at the right hand of God. Therefore, it's impossible for his physical body to be up there and down here at the same time. But we as Lutherans, again, Bible-believing Christians, believe, teach, and confess that this is a meal in which we actually do eat Christ's body and blood, along with the bread and wine. We base this very simply on the words of institution. Christ offers the bread, and what does he say? This is my body. As Luther once says, is, 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 and always is, is. You can't change is to mean something else. And he offers the wine, and he says, this is my blood. Now, do we attempt to explain how this can be? Not really. We simply believe the very plain, simple words of Scripture, that say that the bread and the wine is also Christ's body and blood. Moreover, that whole silly little argument about how Jesus couldn't be here because he's up there. Let Let me give you Luther's argument for this. I'll ask you this question. Luther would say, where is God? What's the answer to that? Everywhere. Where's God's right hand then? Everywhere, likewise. Therefore, when it is said in Scripture that Jesus is at the right hand of God, where is he? Everywhere. Besides, the whole expression of the right hand of God is a figure of speech that just refers to God's mighty power. Now, does this belief in the real presence, which is what we believe in, in fact, most Lutherans, the real presence, the body and blood in, with, and under the bread and wine are here. Catholic Church that believes that somehow it magically changes from body and or bread and wine and it transfers into strictly body and blood, or other churches who say this is just some sort of a memorial feast, or what I've referred to, and I don't mean this to be demeaning, but I've used the word kind of like a pious potluck. You've got three different ways. Now, when we say we believe in the real presence, Does that mean that we are actually eating Christ's skin and tissue? Or that if you took a close look at this wafer and broke it in half, that you could actually see Christ's skin and tissue inside? You know, a lot of people used to say that's what Lutherans believe. In the days of Luther, Lutherans were accused of being cannibals. But Lutherans are not cannibals cannibals. We simply believe, teach, and confess that Christ's body and blood are actually present and truly eaten, but in a supernatural or spiritual way. So what is this meal? Here's number seven. It's a family meal that gives and celebrates unity amongst those who eat it. See, the Lord's Supper has often been called the sacrament of unity, mostly because of First Corinthians 10:17, that says, since there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. See, it it is good and God-pleasing that we all come together today, those of us who believe that this is given and shed for the forgiveness of our sins, for we are truly family. We might just as well call ourselves the first Lutheran family. We are truly one in Christ. We can be one in faith. We're one in doctrine. When we eat this meal, we come together. That's what communion literally means anyway, come together together or if you prefer the word synod, like Luther Church of Missouri Synod, Lut- synod really means to walk together hand in hand. We enter into a unity with each other at this table. We celebrate the oneness of our faith. We celebrate the oneness of our doctrine. We celebrate the oneness of our purpose together. And finally, what is this meal? Let me give you number eight. It is a meal that is a foretaste of the feast to come. Now, some of you say, I've heard that before, a foretaste of the feast, which is the cup. Well, it comes from a communion liturgy, beautifully expresses another aspect of the Lord's Supper. You're going to hear those words in just a few moments. It is a meal that is a foretaste of that eternal heavenly meal that we will enjoy someday with our God. This meal looks to the past and remembers. This meal looks to the present and receives. And this meal looks to the future and it anticipates. This future aspect is supported by Jesus' own words when he said, I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Paul even said, for as often as you eat this bread, drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And those words, till he comes, gives this meal kind of an end times dimension. And by the way, next week's message is what we believe, teach and confess, about the end times. What's going to happen when the end does come? Is it 2012 like that current movie out says it is? See, Holy Communion keeps us looking forward with eager anticipation. It fills us with great strength and great joys for well matter that no matter how difficult our circumstances may be, through the crucified and risen Savior, we shall overcome and feast with him in glory forevermore. Let's continue our worship with our Holy Communion. prayer.